Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shalom, everybody. We we had the interview with Howie and Alin, and I really wanted you to be able to hear them do a couple of songs unplugged. But as it turns out, the sound, the loudness of it, and so forth. Apparently, you know, when you're dealing with a laptop, it's only really set up to to be able to pick up a, a voice talking. And so you guys missed hearing some wonderful music. But if you would like to hear the songs they played and more, then you can go to their their website, www.mishkanim.com. Take a listen to their music and and maybe support their ministry as they're just out there on the streets, doing it the old-fashioned way, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, prayer-to-prayer, not being willing to just sit back and zoom it in. Okay. Not that... Sometimes that's what all we have to work with. Sometimes it is all we have to work with. But if at all possible, it is important not to neglect the face-to-face, which is what the apostles worked so hard for. You know, when the, the apostles went out, they changed the world. They didn't mail just a letter. Later, they did. Once they, they established their congregations, then they might send a letter. But they were rarely introducing brand new stuff. Instead, they often said, you know, we're building on what we we did there. We're building on the foundation that we left with you. And so often people are building, building, building through the internet, you know, reading books, all sorts of digital online things, but they have very little face-to-face. And this is truly where lives are changed and where we build a foundation that these other things can build upon. And so, yes, true. Some people, they don't have any sort of face-to-face fellowship, but they shouldn't get up, give up trying. They shouldn't give up looking for that face-to-face and even cultivating, you know, disciples of Yeshua where they are, who are like kind and like mind. That's that's always something we should keep an eye open for. Because remember, the, the exile being scattered out into the nations, that's not really seen as a great thing. That was seen as a punishment. And so often where we're the happiest, you know, sitting in our PJs, watching a teaching or praise and worship service on the computer or on YouTube or on the television, that's not ideal. That's actually punishment. You say, well, it feels awful nice to be able to relax and do it that way. Well, you know, think about it. It's punishment. When we're scattered, when we're isolated, when we're independent of one another, that is punishment. And so he's trying to work in our hearts to bring us back together, to bring us back to that face-to-face so that he can gather us. Because when we go into the garden, I don't think, even though he says there's many rooms in my father's house, I don't think we're each going to be in a separate room watching a video of Yeshua. We're going to be face-to-face. And so he's letting us practice now. And of course, we're, we're in, our, in the midst of our practice in, one of, I believe, one of the most trying times in history. Because I believe this generation is in a grave condition and they don't know it yet. I think it's just like with the Holocaust. There were so many people in a grave condition and they didn't know it till it was too late. I think our challenges are a little bit different, but I think in some respects for some people, it's about too late because they've, they've already started this process of hardening their hearts. They're saying no, no, no to the Holy Spirit pleading with them 
to come out of Babylon. And the more you say no, the more the no is hardened in in your heart. And that's that's what we want to look at with the plague of hail. And we're going to start right here with plague number seven. And this is going to be the, the plague of hail. But as we read the, the technical details of the plague of hail, we're also going to realize that there's water uh, and fire together. The fact that the fire is in the water is pretty incredible. And of course, in the, the Wars of Kings, this particular siege tactic is equated to bombardment. Bombardment. In other words, whatever you have, you throw it all in there. In terms of, they're still ranged weapons. We're still not talking face-to-face, but in terms of ranged weapons, what is a ranged weapon? Well, in ancient times, it might be a catapult, might be a trebuchet, it might be arrows, uh, maybe spears, depends on how far they can fly. Things that you launch in modern warfare, heavy bombardment, it might come out of an aircraft, it might be artillery. It could be a tank. You know, tanks are, are kind of maneuverable. You can use them for bombardment of certain areas, or you can just, you know, let them meet face to face on the battleground and they can fire at each other. But when, when we're thinking of bombardment, maybe mortars, if you remember what mortars are, it might be modern times uh, RPG, rocket propelled grenade. You don't have to stick your face right on the enemy, but you can reach out and touch your enemy nevertheless. So it's it's very similar, remember, to the plague of, of arrows, to the plague of, of lice or gnats, where, yeah, they reach out and touch you, but it's more of a light bombardment. There's a little more random to it, and it just instills a lot of anxiety. Can it bring some people down? Sure. But the main thing is people are looking around like, oh, wow, I, you know, I didn't get hit. It produces the anxiety. This plague, plague number seven, is the heavy stuff. It's going to affect anyone who is not under a significant shelter. And look at the number of it. There's 10 plagues, and we know in Scripture, numbers have significance. Now, we don't want to get into fortune-telling with numbers. We don't want to start developing doctrines out of numbers. That's, That's a shaky area. I know people love it, but it's a shaky area, so you have to be careful with it. Make sure it's significance telling instead of fortune telling. Significance telling instead of doctrine telling, right? Can it augment teaching? Sure, because it's there. I mean, you can't deny it's in scripture that certain numbers mean certain things. That's why things are always numbered very carefully in scripture, not random very carefully numbered. So yes, the numbers are significant. In the case of this plague, the seventh plague, which is the plague of hail, it's a perfect number. It's a number of completion, just like your Shabbat is the seventh day of creation. It's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion for creation. And so Even though there's 10 plagues, you can still see that the significance remains within this number seven plague, because this is what he says about the plague of hail on Egypt. He says, for this time, I shall send all my plagues against your heart and upon your servants and your people so that you shall know that there is none like me in all the world. Right, that's there, there's a lot packed in that. As Pharaoh hears this, 
put yourself in, well, I don't say his his seat, I guess his throne, <laughs> pretend you're Pharaoh sitting on the throne. And Moses has been right, we'll have to say at this point, seven times because we had a prologue, we had a the staff before the plagues actually started. And so rather than say Moses has been right six times, let's say seven times, if we include the, the serpent staff, which was basically a warning that Pharaoh heavenly authority is about to break on you. And of course, Pharaoh thinks he can produce that he's the authority and that his magicians are going to have the answer to all this. But by this point, seven times, Moses has already done exactly what he said he was going to do because the Holy One's going to do what he's going to do. And so if you were Pharaoh and you heard this, this time I shall send all my plagues against your heart. Oh, well, that's not just all the plagues that have come before. He doesn't really know at this point. Uh, I guess nobody knows, you know, apart from the Father in heaven, how many more there will be. Will they will there be just be this one more? Will there just be the seventh one? Will there be 10 more? Will there be a hundred more? We don't know. But he says, with this seventh plague, I'm going to send all my plagues against your heart and your servants and your people. In other words, nobody's going to be left out. But remember, he's being very specific. He says, your heart, Pharaoh, your servants, Pharaoh, and your people, Pharaoh, so that you shall know that there is none like me in all the world. So there's a point to this plague. He's telling Pharaoh exactly what he intends to accomplish with this plague. Because remember at the outset, Pharaoh says, I don't know who this Yodhebate is. I don't, I don't know this God of Israel. And Moses is in the process of teaching him who he is. By the time he reaches the seventh plague, which is going to be a heavy, heavy bombardment from heaven, at the end of this plague, Pharaoh is going to know who he is. He's going to know not only who he is, but there is no one else like him. No matter who Pharaoh thinks he is, no matter who the gods of Egypt might think they are, or Pharaoh might think they are, or the servants or the people might think they are, there's not going to be anyone like yod heh So this will, in that sense, perfect their perception of who he is. From this point forward, no one in Egypt is going to be able to say, we don't really know who this guy is. We never heard of this God. There's not going to be one soul in Egypt that could possibly say that. Because right here, Adonai says, that's the whole point. I'm, this is going to be so heavy. The effect of this plague is going to be the equivalent of all of them at one time. So we think of the plague of hail and say, well, you know, once the hailstorm was over, typically, I don't know if I've been in hailstorms before, you know, they might last five, 10 minutes. They never last long. They can drop a lot of hail in a short amount of time, but they don't just go on and on and on and on. They tend to move fast. This hailstorm is going to be a little bit different. This one is going to be so heavy that every soul in Egypt is going to know where it came from. And he says something very specific here. He says, I'm going to send it against your heart. We're going to take a look at the pattern of Pharaoh's heart condition. We're going to do a little EKG on him and see what's going on with Pharaoh's heart and see, well, how does this particular plague factor in the what's going on in Pharaoh's heart? Because it's so important what's going on in Pharaoh's heart that it's recorded for every plague, every single plague, even the prologue, even just the the serpent staff competition, that's even recorded. Scripture wants us to, to look at his EKG and know 
what exactly is going on in Pharaoh's heart. Remember, this is to teach us. So as we can look at what's going on in Pharaoh's heart, that's going to give us insight into our own time. So hail in Hebrew, it's barad, barad. There's an interesting connection here with barad. And those of you who can see the slide that I have pulled up here, the background of the, the slide is a dapple gray horse. It's just the coat of the horse. You say, well, where's the horse? I don't see the horse. It's just the coat. It's a close-up of a dappled horse. Because when we look at barad as hail, the Hebrew word for dappled in a horse is barod. Barod, it's the same Shoresh, it's the same root, it's just instead of Barod, it's Barod. And you'll find that if you, if you know how to use a concordance, you can go back to Zechariah 6.3 and 6.6, and it'll refer to the dappled horse. And if you look, there's some comparison between the four horsemen in the Old Testament and the four horsemen in the book of Revelation, but I don't want to do that right now. You can do that in workbook two. If you get Creation Gospel Workbook Two, you can you can do that work on the four horses and the four horsemen and the colors and how that connects again back to stages of leprosy or tsarat and so forth, and, and why the pale horse is death. And in this particular case, there is a pale green horse in the book of Revelation. Um, sometimes it's is just translated as the pale horse. If you look that up in the Greek, it's a yellowish green color, a yellowish green color. And that yellowish green color, if you take that Greek word and you go back to how the Hebrew was translated into Greek, then that same color is the color that appears, and it says, in a man or a woman's beard, when they have leprosy, it's a yellowish green color that the priest is looking for. And you say, well, Bearded ladies? Sure. In Leviticus, bearded ladies are not unusual, right? <laughs> uh, but it's what does the beard do? It frames the mouth. And remember, gossip, blasphemy, evil speech uh, is one of the primary causes of leprosy in scripture. And so the, the pale horse, it, it tells you like, as the mouth can speak death, then that's exactly how Revelation describes this, this yellow green horse, that he is death. And so the other three horses, in a sense, come out of the pale green horse. Because the pale green horse is death, then if, if you look at the conquering horse, what is he about to do? He's about to go on a campaign to conquer, whatever those devices might be. If you look at the red horse and the sword, if you look at the black horse and the famine, all of those are going to bring forth things in the realm of death. And so kind of at the center of what's going on there is going to be the pale green horse. Or when Zechariah sees this same horse, he adds us the, the description of dappled, not just pale green, but he's a dappled horse. He's a hail horse. So just as we can say, well, the pale horse holds within himself all the judgments and plagues because he comes from the realm of death. Well, you can see that's exactly the language that's being used here for Barad, for the hail, that I'm going to send all my plagues against your heart, if that makes sense. Now, when you see this pattern in Revelation with the horses, you're just going to see seven seals, four horses, seven seals, 
that's okay, right? Because it's it's chiastic, it folds on itself. And, and if you don't understand that, just go back to workbook one and, and read up on what a chiasm is. But when you look at it in that particular way, I've always got a menorah somewhere. All right, so let's just say that number one spot here, let's say this is the white horse. Number two spot, this is going to be the red horse. Number three spot, this is going to be the black horse. Number four spot, this is going to be the pale yellowish green horse. But we've got seven seals. And that's why it helps to understand how chiasms work in scripture, because what you're expected to understand is remember the pale horse, everything comes out of that realm of death. So if you look at the white horse, realm of death, red horse, realm of death, black horse, realm of death, pale horse, death, right? Death and Hades, right? Just so we aren't unclear on the origin. So why are there only four horses, but there's seven seals? That's how you do it. It's chiastic. So here's your realm of death again. But if you've got the white horse here, then you've also got the white horse that will be associated with the seventh seal, not just the first seal, but the seventh seal. If you've got the red horse here, when you look at it chiastically, then he'll also be associated with the sixth seal. Same thing. When you look at the black horse, famine, close him up here. What do you see? You can see that the black horse, you can expect whatever he's doing to have an effect on the third and the fifth seals. That, does that make it a little bit easier to visualize? Which if you're just listening by audio, you're having a really hard time visualizing what I just did. But it's it's really simple. When you look at it this way, just like there's four living creatures, right? in the divine chariot, but there are seven spirits of Adonai. Four and seven are equivalent expressions in scripture. That's why, again, numbers have significance. So when you see four, remember, this is the center. Everything comes out of this. The menorah was made out of one piece of beaten gold. So they start with one piece and they beat out three over here, three over here. So that is, of course, the, the origin, the fullness of the spirit. Where does Yeshua stand? He stands in the middle of the lampstand, it says in Revelation. So if he stands in the middle of the lampstand, it's everything. It's all authority because the four and the seven are equivalent expressions. If he stands in the middle of the lampstand, he's also standing in that seventh right there too. See how it works? Right. So when you see a four in scripture, it's okay to say it's very similar to a seven, not identical, but equivalent. Four, fullness, seven, completion. Four, fullness, seven, completion. You say, how are those different? Just a tiny bit different, but they're equivalent. And truly, that's a good tip. You know, if you're keeping a journal of prophetic terms and significance and things like that, just put down four and seven equivalent expressions. Four has a lot to do with authority. Right? You know, we've heard about the authority of the Holy Spirit. Four has, from its creation, it was about governing. And then the Holy Spirit, if we look at that as central, the Holy Spirit here, and then the, the specific manifestations that come out of it, such as uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, uh, knowledge, and reverence, it's still one Holy Spirit. But this is the authority. This is the origin of it. This is the completion. Reverence is the completion. And remember, reverence, the seventh spirit, is the beginning of all wisdom, the first one. See, that's why we know we're just looking at half the menorah from our human perspective. But in as it extends up into the heavenlies, it goes in big circles, concentric circles. So that's just a little side thing that we just went on. All right, let's go back. 
our perfect seven. So that tells us the extremity of the plague that is coming. If it's similar to what we see with the pale horse, the barad horse, in which is death and Hades, or in Hebrew, we would say death and Sheol, Sheol. Hell is not a Hebrew word. That's <laughs> it, is, it kind of morphed from translating into other languages, but in Hebrew, we would say Sheol. And, you know, maybe it's better to stick with the Hebrew word in this case. It's a, it's a realm for which we were not designed nor assigned. We can choose it. We can choose that realm, but we were neither designed nor assigned to that realm in the creation. Should we choose to do abominable things like we're going on in Egypt, then we can change that assignment. He will let us change that assignment. And we can choose to have fellowship with these unfruitful works of darkness. We can choose to let him cut off our root and our fruit, but they're not fruitful. Right, so here's how this particular plague goes. And this is from Exodus 9, 18 through 33. But what I want you to notice about it as we read through it, it's a gathering of humans and animals, a gathering of humans and animals. And it's going to smash the early crops. What I think is important here to notice is that everything that is not in the house will be damaged, either destroyed or damaged severely. So you need to be in the house specifically. Now, if you've been keeping up with your glossary of prophecy words and definitions and so forth, you know that house can be a metaphor for the temple, the father's house. And actually, this is going to give us a little bit of taste of the 10th plague, which remember is the death of the firstborn. And the key to not dying as a firstborn is to be inside a house that has the blood on the doorpost, being inside a house that has the, the blood on the doorpost. With this particular plague, and now you can say, well, all the plagues, well, you're, you're, you are kind of getting a little taste of all of them. There'll be a little element of some of these other plagues. You don't have to have blood on the doorpost. You just have to be obedient and get yourself and your animals under shelter in the house. And here's what he says. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety, every man and beast. And, and again, the man and beast pairing, it, it has been there from the sixth day of creation. And so on this particular play, you can see that man to beast. This plague is man to beast, just like in Revelation. There will be man and beast, man and beast. Every man and beast that is found in the field. What does the field stand for in the parables? The field of the world. So this will extend, this, this pattern of Egypt is telling us in our day and time, we're in the field of the world, so we can learn from this pattern. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, Yaasa habaita, who is not basically that particular word, if you look it up, it, it means to flee, like to run like crazy. If you can imagine what was going on here with this method 
it's like there is a hurt. This isn't a slow walk sort of thing. This is frantic. You just have to see people running around with their hair on fire, trying to get everybody they know and all their animals under a shelter. And he says, if they are not driven, they, they have to like be driven in there frantically when the hail comes down on them will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. Like I said, hair on fire. They were running for their lives to get into the houses. They weren't kidding around. They they believe Moses at this point because it says they feared the word of the Lord. Those particular Egyptians, they've achieved something. When you reverence the word of Adonai, you have that seventh spirit of the seven spirits of Adonai listed in Isaiah. Remember, it's going to be wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and reverence. Seven reverence is the number of completion. If you've got this, which goes back to Shabbat, if you've got Shabbat, it's a really good indication that it's the culmination that you have grown from here to here. You have grown through those seven spirits because seven is the culmination of the the six days. Remember six, day six, man and beast is the day that they were created. Those who feared the word of the Lord, they understood it's not just enough for man and beast to be created. We got to drive them into the house. And what is the house? The temple. What is the house? It's the gathering of the saints. What do we do on Shabbat? We gather with the saints. We gather with like kind and like mind. And at this point in our history, we tend to have a very lackadaisical attitude toward Shabbat. We tend to have a very lackadaisical attitude toward gathering with like kind and like mind. Eh, If nothing more fun comes up, I might make it to service. Eh, I think I'd rather stay in my PJs. Just mail it in. Let me watch it on Zoom. Let me watch it on YouTube. Are there people who have no other choice? Yes. But when they have a choice... Do they gather with the saints? Do they gather? Remember, it's a gathering of humans. And those who feared the word of Adonai, they didn't just slow walk to gather with the spirit of reverence. They ran like crazy. I I can't wait for the day when we get into the parking lot of our congregations or our synagogues, our fellowships, and we run inside for the gathering because we fear the word of Adonai. It's important. It says, but he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And then we'll skip forward a little bit. Now that we understand how fast we're supposed to run to gather together on the seventh day, (laughs) it says, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail very severe, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So this isn't normal hail. This is ice. This is water with fire inside it. Water with fire inside it. If you've ever wondered about a a lake of fire, how can there be a lake of fire? Because a lake is water, but fire is fire. We'll see, you know, even the winds and the seas obey the word of Adonai. They fear the word of Adonai often more than the people that he has created. But even the the fire and the water will obey him, so much so that even though they are created to be like opposites, in this particular case, it tells you how important this, this plague is because he has teamed together two things that in the natural world don't go together. And so it says, hail struck all that was in the field 
through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And I believe in the Hebrew, I'd have to double check. I think it says both man. It says man to beast. It hit the people first and then it hit the beasts. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. All right. So even the trees of the field were shattered. Did it kill them all? Well, I don't think so. Did it damage them all? I would say so. And again, what do trees stand for in scripture? Often they stand for human beings. And so what if you got caught out in it? It could have killed you or it could have damaged you. It could have shattered you. And again, there's the fire. That that venom of the tzila, that venom of the hail bug, it is like a fire. Its sting is like a fire. So what we have here is a, a hardening of the heart. There's no reason for the plagues to have reached this point. There's no reason for this to be the seventh plague. There didn't need to be any plagues. There didn't need to be two plagues. There didn't need to be three plagues. There didn't need to be 10 plagues. But something is going on with Pharaoh's heart, and it's hardened. How do we know it's hardened? Well, without getting into an in-depth explanation of what blasphemy is and scripture, because it's, it's not that narrow. A lot of it depends on context. Uh, but basically, it's a, it's a rebellion with full knowledge. You know exactly what you're doing and you do it anyway, right? That's, that's one way of looking at it. That's, that's oversimplified, but just hold on to that for now. In Revelation, we see a, a pattern of blasphemy, okay? Revelation 16.9, there's going to be an intense heat. And remember, what was in the, the plague of hail was fire. You think, well, that's some hot ice, right? <laughs> yes, it was. And then in Revelation 16, 11, uh, it seems that that heat is also related to the boils. The boils. Well, we've, we've looked already uh, at the plague of boils as, again, one of the, the origins of leprosy is from a boil. It's And the boil erupts out of a burn. And so you can look at the, the leprosy and say, well, did a boil cause it? Did a burn cause it? The, the answer is yes. The boil is seen as um, erupting from a heat, so to speak. And so is it talking about a literal burn, like you burned yourself in the fire? Yes. Could it be another kind of burn? I think so. I think so. There's some sort of impurity inside. And, and so it's it's not your normal boil. If you've got, ever had a boil, don't say, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm under judgment because I had a boil. These are not normal boils, right? <laughs> the type of boil that you've had is, is probably, you know, 99.999% just a natural boil, skin eruption. This type of boil is going to be supernatural. And it's going to come, you know, not from just from a supernatural realm. It's like in the temple times. The reason that leprosy kind of passed away as a supernatural judgment is because the temple is no longer there so that the, the illness might be dealt with in a particular way. So boil, heat, uh, 
they're they're blaspheming because of the heat in Revelation 69. They're blaspheming because of the boils, which are coming from a source of heat in 1611. And then in 1621, there is hail, and they're blaspheming again. And those um, hailstones were about 100 pounds. So you can see why they would be a problem. (laughs) A 100-pound hailstone with fire in it? Yikes. Uh, We're talking about a 100-pound ice fireball, ice that burns you. So let's let's look and and see what, what parallel can we find. If in Exodus, the seventh plague, which is barad or hail, it's the equivalent of all the plagues. It's like a, a completion of the plagues found within the hail of the seventh plague. Do we see something similar to this in the book of Revelation? Well, we, we read it, uh, I believe, week before last. It's from Revelation 18, 2 through 8. It's a longer passage, but this was the part that stands out now. It says, for this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. In one day, pestilence, mourning, and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. And now we can see why the hailstorm might be referred to as all the plagues. As in Revelation, it says in one day, her plagues will come. And it it basically lists here four things, pestilence, mourning, famine, and a burning with fire. Now, if we look at that and say, you know what? I see some crossover in these plagues. Um, There's pestilence. Well, the pestilence tended to be a disease that fell on the beasts, wild beasts. But it's also a disease, right? So the disease, we might say, well, the frogs aren't necessarily a disease, but they are wild beasts. The pestilence could have come through the frogs, right? What about famine? Well, famine in Hebrew, it just means it's re'ev in Hebrew. It means to make thirsty. I mean, not thirsty, uh, to make hungry, to be hungry. But if you can't get the water out of the Nile as fresh water, if it turns to blood when you try to use it for preparing food, then now you're hungry. And and so as you kind of work through some of these these other plagues, you will see that these plagues, too, they're all going to have shared elements. Even though there's only four listed, you could say, well, that kind of goes back. You know, I could trace all 10 to these four, just like you said with the seventh plague. All the plagues will be contained within this hail. There will be something of that severity. What he says here, mourning. Well, the plague of the firstborn brought mourning. But look at the plague of the locust that that we're going to do coming up. If you look out and you see all your crops destroyed, well, they were, you know, the early crops were destroyed by the hailstorm. But anything that was left, let's say you had fig trees and pomegranate trees, and and you said, well, I still got some fruit trees. They were damaged, but I've still got fruit on my tree. Well, again, what if he comes back in and he destroys that with a pestilence, um, with the wild beasts, with the locusts? It's going to bring mourning. It's going to bring sadness. 
And I think that's why it says she will be burned up with fire. The hailstorm, there is a fire. There is a spiritual fire within that hailstorm because later at Mount Sinai, you're going to see the, the hail again with the fire. And this is going to be, you know, an, an awesome wonder of the Holy One. And if you're obedient, yes, it is a wonder. It's in a good way. But if you're rebellious, then it's a plague. It has the opposite effect on you. I said, if you're walking with him, if you're walking in righteousness, you will go through the flood and you won't drown. You'll go through the fire and you won't be burned, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your faith is what sets you apart on the day of the plagues. But see, these are blasphemy. There's there's three very clear blasphemies for the heat, for the boils, for the hail in Revelation, which tells you that there has been a hardening of the heart. Blasphemy comes from a completely hard heart. Now, could you be rebellious and just end up with anxiety? Yes. But if you keep rebelling, if you keep hardening your heart, that that anxiety may at some point turn into blasphemy. So let's look at these three things here in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 8, 7, because we're looking at the, the plague of hail, Barat. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. Okay, right there. It helps us understand why Moses told Pharaoh that the seventh plague of hail, it was going to be the equivalent of all the plagues. Probably, if if we take this passage from Revelation and we match it up with what happened in the Exodus, why this hail was so terrifying is there was other stuff in there, not just fire. It looks like there was blood as well mixed with the hail and the fire. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Okay, There's our trees again. There's our green grass. And so let's try Revelation 11, 19. Remember, you had to run into the house. And you didn't just meander into the house when you heard the plague of hail was coming. You didn't go for a Sunday drive. You ran. You flat out ran and you drove everything you owned that could walk in front of you to get them in there. So Revelation eleven nineteen it says, The temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So what produces the hail, this great hailstorm? Well, it's, it's coming out of the house, except it's coming out of the holy house. You want to be protected from this hail coming out of the holy house. Well, what is in the holy house is the key. It's the ark of his covenant is in the house. His word is in the house. So now we can understand why it says those Egyptians who feared the word of Adonai drove their animals into the houses. Drove them in there fast because what are they running to? If they fear the word of Adonai, then the word of Adonai is contained in the ark. It's within the covenant. You say, well, where did this mixed multitude come from that went out of Egypt? 
with the Israelites, probably this crew right here by the seventh plague, they're they're like, okay, this is perfect. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> we know who this Yod Vav is. We believe his word. We reverence his word. And they're eventually also going to be at Mount Sinai with the Israelites. They're eventually going to be part of that covenant community with the Israelites. And so the, the appearance of the Ark of the Covenant, the appearance in his word, this great hailstorm is going to go out of there. And that word can either become your protection in the plague, or it can destroy you. You get to decide. You can repent, and you can run to him, or you can blaspheme. And Revelation 16, 21, it says, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because its plague was extremely severe, extremely severe, right? So what's so severe about it? It's like there's all sorts of stuff in the plague. It's a hundred pounds. That's telling you that there's probably more things in this hailstones than we've ever imagined. Not just fire, not just ice, but blood. Is it possible that there was more stuff in there? Like there were there were little doses of the other nine plagues? I think so. I think it's entirely possible. But whatever is in there, there's a hundred pounds worth. Fire's not that heavy, guys. Ice can be, but fire is not that heavy. What if these hailstones coming down and every single hailstone is 10 plagues? Yikes. No wonder. It was extremely severe. But what's going to happen at this point is there are going to be people who run into the house who run into his word, who reverence his word, who are willing to repent and return to the house. And there are going to be people who simply blaspheme. They're not interested in repentance. They're just going to blaspheme. They're going to harden their heart like Pharaoh did. So here's the best pattern I could come up with. You might do this on your own too. See if if you're coming up with the same thing. And some of this is going to have to do with verb tenses that we don't have time to have a, a Hebrew grammar lesson. But it's it's pretty clear, no matter whether you're reading it in Hebrew or whether you're reading it in English, when Adonai hardens Pharaoh's heart, as opposed to Pharaoh hardening his own. And that's why I say, by the time we reach Revelation 16, 21, and it says the men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail, it's not likely that that group of people will ever repent. Once you reach the point of blasphemy, It is simply because that's all that's left. If you won't repent, the only alternative is to blaspheme. So we we started off with what I call the prologue, which was the Moses and Aaron go in with the staff and they turn it into a serpent. And of course, Pharaoh says, well, my magicians can do that. That's Exodus 7, 13. But we're told there that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Then we start the plagues proper. The first plague, blood. It says his heart was hardened. There's there's kind of a reflexive thing going on there, like Pharaoh's responsible for this. He hardens his heart. Is it under the influence of the magicians? Probably. Had something to do with it, but he made up his own mind. That's Exodus 7.22. So he hardened his own heart with the plague of blood. With the plague of frogs, number two, in Exodus 8.15, he hardened his own heart. With the third plague, whether it's lice or gnats, Exodus 8, 19, his heart was hardened, still making his own choices. Plague number four, Exodus 8, 32, the plague of wild beasts. Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
Plague number five, the pestilence. Exodus 9, 7, his heart was hardened. He's still hardening his own heart. Is he still under the influence of others? Well, there again, we tend to take counsel with people who will simply verify and ratify what we've already decided. But notice a big change with plague number six. And I think this is why it goes with the the blasphemies of Revelation. They were what? Heat, boils, and then hail. Well, the the heat and the boils had something in common. They're they're both generating a a heat. At the sixth plague, it says, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, Adonai hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's Exodus 9, 12. So by the sixth plague, Adonai has says, okay, you've had five chances. Basically, he's already, he's actually already had six, starting with the staff. He's already had six chances. And so now it's more like he's reached the seventh chance on the sixth plague. And now Adonai gets involved. He says, now I'm going to harden your heart. Then the seventh plague, the one we're dealing with today, the plague of hail. Notice that if there's a bookend twice, it's going to say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 9.34 and 9.35. Adonai hardened it with the boils, and now Pharaoh comes right back again. We can see right here that this is what happens. Once Adonai hardens your heart, that's really the only thing that's left. There's, There's no repentance left. Plague number eight, locusts. It says in Exodus 10.1 10.1 and Exodus 10.20. It's another bookend. Adonai hardened his heart with the locusts. Plague number nine with the plague of darkness. Adonai hardened his heart in Exodus 10.27. And by the last plague, which is the plague of the firstborn, which would also be a plague of mourning, Adonai hardened his heart. And we see that Exodus 11.10 and 14.8. There's also a mention in, in 14.4 through 5. So what can we sum that up with? Well, Pharaoh had six chances. He had six plagues to deal with his heart. And so it's like we're we're allowed to see what's going on on his chart here. He hardens, he hardens, he hardens, he hardens, he hardens. But by the the seventh chance, by the sixth plague, Adonai says, okay, all right. He has decided there will be no repentance. He has decided because he knows. He knows us. We don't know us. Other people don't know us, but the Father knows. And he knows at what point people can be persuaded, can be tribulated to a point of repentance, and when they would rather blaspheme than serve him and repent. So that tells us as we look at the hellbugs flying out of Abaddon, or Sheol, and Revelation, there's going to be people tormented. And so it may be at that point, we're going to be able to see who would rather die, who would rather blaspheme than ever repent. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.